I'm so happy to be here today. And I know I'm not the only one coming back. I'm aware of that. Maybe this is a coming back day for you. Maybe you've been with us online before and you're coming back because something happened. Maybe, that's where I was, by the way. I joined us every week online and got to experience some of this. So we're praying for those of you that are joining us there today. Maybe this is a coming back day for you because you've been away from God for whatever reason, something happened. You don't, can't, don't go into detail, can't explain it, don't know. But for whatever reason, you got up today and here you are. You've come back. And so we have something in common right away. <laughs> We're coming back here for something. So would it be okay with you if God met us and brought us back closer even to him? So my prayer today for each one of us. And, um, and I'm, I am uh, so thankful. By the way, did you notice? No chair, no scoot, no cane, no boot, no problem. That's what I'm saying. Thank you, God. Through every season, I'm still praising, but today I'm praising that that's in my past. Amen? Now, I have something today. I want to speak to our teens and our young adults today. This has been on my heart and on my mind for a while. Any person who has ever felt like you were overlooked, undervalued, or put down, thought less of because of your youthful age. Ever happened to you? I mean, ageism happens to older people. Yes, it does. And some people are passed over for jobs because of their age. Some people are shown the door because of their age. God forbid. We don't want to be a part of that. But today, I'm talking about those who are told, you're too young. You know, that you need more experience. You're just a child. Or you ever heard this one? You know, your brain isn't even fully formed yet. Ever heard that one? I mean, uh, you were passed over or you were devalued because of your age. It happened to me once as a pastor, young pastor, in my second church, Streetman, Texas. And I was 25 or 26, and I had taken a group from our church there to Dallas to see the Jerusalem upper room experience. And then on the way back, we were going to stop by the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. It was very well-renowned in its ministry, you know, uh, especially in Texas. And, and uh, it was the home church of Billy Graham. That's, that's what we're talking about here. And, uh, and we were standing as our group in a hallway, this old church hallway, and we were looking up at an attendance roster on the wall that showed that the number of preschoolers they had that past Sunday was more than our entire church population. It was like, whoa. And what should happen while we're standing there? But down the hallway comes Dr. W.A. Criswell, the esteemed, renowned senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas. So I said, oh, Dr. Criswell, may I introduce you? And so I introduced our mayor and his wife and those in our group, and he said, well, I'm so happy to have you here today. Is your pastor with you? <laughs> and the mayor, Mayor Sims says, he's right there. And without missing a beat, Dr. Criswell goes, why, he's just a boy. I don't have a good Texas South accent, but you pick it up a little bit, right? And what we all knew in that moment was he wasn't complimenting me on my boyish charm. You know what he was saying is, he's not old enough to be a pastor. What are you talking about, right? But immediately, 
our group came to my rescue, and I'm thankful they corrected the good doctor respectfully, but my dignity was intact even though I had been youthfully put down. I'm praying for somebody today who has been told that you don't have it yet and been passed over because of that. And so I want to ask you, would you ask God to speak to you in what we're about to do? You know, William Shakespeare in Hamlet, scene three, said this, art is a mirror held up to nature. This is why we have an at the movie series. We see this in the art of film. What we're doing is holding up art before us as an invitation to understand nature, in this case, human nature. We want to investigate human nature by observing art and then see what lessons we can take away from it as it applies to this area of ageism in youth. One of my special uh, favorite Bible verses, actually I think I memorized this when I was 17 for the first time. It says this, don't, look, don't let other people look down on you. And in fact, let's say it together, shall we? Take a breath, here we go. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. This is the Bible's answer to racism, I mean to ageism against young. Don't let anyone look down on you. Instead, give them a reason to look up to you to set the the, the example, be the leader. He's saying be inspired, be challenged, set the example, cut the wake, blaze the trail. Don't don't be, be part of the solution. Don't be sullen, don't be pouty, don't rebel, don't get uh, offended what was thrown at you, you can actually, they intended it to be a stumbling block, you can turn it into a stepping stone. This is why Paul was writing to young Timothy because others were saying, he's too young, he doesn't have what it takes. And Paul was saying, yeah, you do, show him. Step up, lead up, and let it lift you to higher ground. Maybe there's something here today for you. Don't get bitter, get better. Now, why am I telling you that? Because uh, I see this as part of the central message in our movie today. And what movie is that? Check this out. Can we just like, can we just like stay up here all day? It is so crazy down there. That's right, folks. Spider-Man is in fact Peter Parker. Listen, I did not kill Mysterio. The drones did. The drones that are yours. Does any part of you feel relieved about all this? What do you mean? Now that everybody knows you don't really have to hide or lie to people. For the record, I never wanted to lie to you. But how do you tell someone that you're Spider-Man? Now everybody knows. But this isn't about me. This is hurting a lot of people. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. So, Peter. What do I owe the pleasure? I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me, sir. Okay, Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. 
entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? Can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So MJ's gonna forget about everything we've ever been through? Stop tampering with the spell. Oh my God, Ned, he's my best friend. Oh, my Aunt May should really stop talking. <laughs> Happen. We tampered with the stability of space-time. The multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. The problem is you trying to live two different lives. The longer you do it, the more dangerous it becomes. <laughs> you wish for, Parker. Hello, Peter. Spider-Man No Way Home. Art we are holding up as a mirror on human nature. And I mean, this is art with impact in our world. The film grossed over 1.9 billion, B, billion dollars on release worldwide. It's the highest grossing film of 2021. It's the sixth highest movie of all time. And it's received multi-level praise from critics for the story, for the action sequences, for the performance, for the chemistry of the actors, and quote, for the emotional weight, close quote. Now, Spider-Man's been around for 60 years in comic books. He's been around 20 years in film. Stan Lee created him as his first solo teenage superhero. Not a sidekick. He's not Robin to Batman. He's a superhero in his own right. And Lee said this. He said, you know, I like him because, quote, he's the most famous. <laughs> he's the most like me. Nothing ever turns out 100% okay. He's got a lot of problems. He does things wrong. And I can relate to that, close quote. So Spider-Man, in his mind, was saying, this is an average guy who turned into a hero and still had problems. We like him, too, at our house. You know, sometimes he even shows up. We've got these little Spider-Man sightings that happen from time to time. <laughs> and when Spider-Man comes, he starts crawling over the walls and, every, you know, you know what I'm talking about. In No Way Home, Peter Parker is 17 years old. And he's experiencing a full slate of teenage realities. He's got a girlfriend. Her name is MJ. He's got a best friend. His name is Ned. He's got a ton of not really friends. Some who oppose him and others who adore him. And then he's got a set of authority figures in his life that are trying to figure things out themselves. He's got amazing powers as Spider-Man. Did you see Desi do this? He's got amazing powers, but he's also a real teenager. I mean, he's got a secret handshake. 
You know, he's got short-sighted solutions that he doesn't fully see before he acts. He's got teenage struggles. He, he's wondering, he's not a kid anymore, but he's not a full-on adult either. He's struggling like a teenager. He's coming of age, and he's finding his way through adolescence. This is the backstory. He has friends. They've all applied to college together. Some of us know that experience. They're waiting to be accepted. And he's asking questions in the meantime like we all do. Who am I? I mean, where do I, where do I belong? How can my life matter? How can it really make a difference? You know, how do I make it work? And so in the story, the fact that Spider-Man is really Peter Parker is now public knowledge. How's that sitting? Take a look. I have a weird question. I have a weird question. Um, does any part of you feel relieved about all of this? Ever since I got bit by that spider, I've only had one week where my life has felt normal, or kind of normal, I guess. And that was when you found out. Because then everyone that was in my life that I wanted to know knew, and it was perfect. But now everybody knows, and I am the most famous person in the entire world. Man, I'm still broke. <laughs> the most famous person in the entire world, but I'm still broke. Fame doesn't turn out to be what he thought it would be. Here's a lesson. That discovering what you thought would be one thing isn't, and then you've got to adjust to what reality really is. That's part of adulting. You know, that's, that's like part of the challenge, having to adjust to the new reality. And, uh, and Peter Parker's not the only one that has to do that, is he? We all do. We all, we all bump into that resistance at some point. You know, the Apostle Paul was writing to young Timothy because of that very thing. He was hitting a wall that was experiential, and Paul said, there's something you gotta do in your thinking. You need, there's a don't decision to be made, there's a do decision to be made. Maybe one of these is yours as a young person today. Don't, he said, uh, well, let me get to that in just a moment. I don't wanna, I don't wanna drop this one. Uh, the, the central truth for Paul with Timothy is this. It's okay to be a work in progress. Would you say that with me? It's okay to be a work in progress. Paul didn't expect him to be everything at once. He just said, there's a couple of things as you're making your way through the journey into adulthood. The journey to adulthood involves disappointments and discoveries that require the decision to keep growing forward, upward, and onward. And Paul wants Timothy to know that he's not alone in that. that God, and God wants you to know that as well. Young people, this is where we have decisions to make as we align to that truth. Here's the don't decision. Don't let other people look down on you, including yourself. When you look in the mirror, don't put yourself down. Don't let anyone look down on you. Instead, lean into the calling and creative grace of God in creating you to be you, and then embrace it. Don't put yourself down. Don't let others put yourself down. Here's the do decision. Do set the example. Do focus upward, not downward. Don't let others put you down, but live it up. The do decision is, no matter what others are doing, you make your own decision to respond 
and keep growing upward. Why? Because God is at work. God is at work in you. God is at work through you. This is the message of the New Testament. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 is another verse that I memorized. I think I was 17 when I first memorized this one. Maybe you're familiar with it. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He doesn't want to just get us through our adolescence, though thank God that he helps us do that. But he's got even bigger plans for you eternally. Young people, these are truths of God for you. This is in here for you. You are not the only one working in your life to see you grow. God is on your side. God wants to see you grow upward, onward, forward. And Jesus Christ is our model. And Jesus Christ is our mentor in that message of scripture. In the film, where do we see that? There's this guy named Dr. Strange. You remember him? Dr. Strange shows up as the wizard with the ability to hold the multiverse together when it is coming unraveled and going to pieces. And scripture says in real life, that's Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Colossians chapter one, verse 15 and 17. The son is the image of the invisible God before all things. And then it says that he is before all things and in him all things are holding together. He's more powerful than any wizard, but he is at work with you. He's at work for you. He's at work in you to bring it all together. Now, my purpose in the message isn't simply to tell the story of the movie, though there are spoilers here, so if you haven't seen the movie in the last year, sorry, but we're gonna go there, and then you can check me later to see what you think about what I think that I'm talking about today. Is that okay? Is that a deal? Say, it's a deal. Okay, thanks. Uh, some of the things that stood out to me are some truths that seem very parallel to gospel truths. And I'm wondering if I just see them because I'm a pastor or if anybody else has seen these things. Like for first, we're told that Spidey is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I mean, he's got superpowers, but he's not distant and he's not disconnected from us. He lives right in the neighborhood. He's going through the same stuff that we do. That sounds to me like a metaphor for Jesus Christ. John chapter one, verse 14, the message says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved in to the neighborhood and we got to see his glory with our own eyes and then respond. God is the, super, the true superpower who knows us, became one of us, and in this world, let us see what it looks like for him to be at work. So check me on this, I mean really. Go see the movie again, bring your Bible, look at the scripture, and then you know, you could have your own small group and say, do you think he was right, was he wrong, does that work, or is that just, you make your own decision. Second truth, this world is a spawning ground for evil. As we see that clearly in the, in the film, the antagonists in the story are people who have been made monsters. People who have been made monsters by circumstances in their lives and by choices that have been made. Many times involving the abuse of science. This is what I see in the film. You tell me if you see the same thing. Science isn't evil, but science can be abused and result in evil for people that then have been made 
monstrous in their behaviors by its abuse. So there's first thing I saw was men have been made monsters by the abuse of science and circumstance. Check me out like that. And then here's another one. Some of those men have been made monsters by the fall. There was a fall involved in their lives. One guy fell into eels, and that's where all of his stuff came from. One guy fell into a super collider, and then that's where his... But it was a fall that led to the monstrous condition and the behaviors that they were now practicing. And I'm thinking, have I read that somewhere before? Has there ever been a, a story where human beings fell and monstrous things resulted? And then there are others who, because circumstances happened, they made choices that then affected their own lives, and then monstrosities came from that. That's the film I'm talking about. But I'm just thinking, hey, boy, my choices can, can do damage too, can't they? Like, I'm thinking, some of you know this, the multiverse, the multiverse trespassers, lizard, Dr. Octopus, Electro, Sandman, Green Goblin, all of those result from science gone wrong in the Stan Lee story that we see. But Spider-Man shows up, and even though he's got a bite, he's using science rightly. And there's a higher purpose that he brings than simply self-service. But science, when abused, makes monsters of people. And the most telling scene for me was that one where Green Goblin is fighting Spidey, decisive battle, and he says this, That's some neat trick, that sense of yours. Norman? Norman's on sabbatical, honey. The goblin. No more darker half. Did you really think that I'd let that happen? That I'd let you take away my power just because you're blind to what true power can bring you? You don't know me. Don't I? <laughs> I saw how she trapped you, fighting her holy moral mission. We don't need you to save us. We don't need to be fixed. These are not curses. They're gifts. Norman, no. Quiet, lapdog. You don't know what you're talking about. I've watched you from deep behind Norman's cowardly eyes. Struggling to have everything you want while the world tries to make you choose. Gods don't have to choose. We take. Is that true? Gods. Gods don't have to choose. They just take. There's a Bible word for that. Do you know that? It's the word ungodliness. What it means is that you, we, I, reject the true God and instead replace God with myself. So that now I'm the God at work in the situation, ruling myself and making my own universe. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 is where Paul first speaks to that in the book of Romans. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness. That means the monstrous behavior that proceeds when human beings set them up to be the only one that they're accountable to. I'm my own God. And then he says, the men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It means behaving like God isn't really God. There is no other God. I make myself God. I make my own rules. And to Green Goblin, you know what he was saying is, there's no other God that I have to be accountable to. Only me. Deal with it. Making your own rules, making yourself God, that's what this is talking about. Nobody except you. That's the opinion that matters most. And the Bible says that's the core of our human problem. The prophet said, you know, we all go our own way. We, like sheep, go astray. Jesus talked about sheep that tend to go astray, and he wanted to be the shepherd who helped us find our way. The book of wisdom from Proverbs says that there is a way. It seems right to a human being, but it ends in death. It's a dead end. It doesn't take you upward and onward and forward. It takes you down into death. Suppressing the truth, that means just pretending like that's not real. Like you make up your own truth and then believe it really hard and that's what's true for you. And then suppressing it means that we ignore the damage that's done and then we cover it up with another story. We see Green Goblin doing this. These are not curses. These are gifts. We are gods. And we take. Green Goblin defines his own reality and he calls his own monstrous, narcissistic behavior part of Norman's. He, he calls it his right and says that Norman's humanity is weak. So what does Spider-Man do? I should say, what do the three Spider-Men do? Did you notice that? There's not just one in this film. There's like three of them show up. And two others have come from their respective multiverses to face these enemies together. And so what we're invited to see happening is a shared respect, a shared empowerment, a shared learning from one another, and the most recent Spidey taking his personal growth from being a part of the Avengers team to say, hey, there's a way to do this together. Three as one working together? I read that story somewhere. And then they work together to win, but here's another new twist. Winning here doesn't mean killing your adversaries. It means helping them change. It means helping them find their way to change that restores their humanity. That's the plot line of the film. I think I'm I'm on that, you know, so that the three Spideys come together and say, hey, let's don't kill them, let's cure them. Remember that line? And they say we want to cure them before they kill us so that their true humanity might be restored. That's a new twist. They believe change is possible in human monstrosity. That behaviors don't have to keep repeating themselves, but that something, you know, that we believe that. We believe that grace and redemption mean that every person, regardless of what behavior has monstered itself on you or in you or evidenced itself that God has the power and the grace to reach deep within and restore full, true 
humanity, showing that every person is within the reach of God's restoring power if we're willing to let the change happen. Now, the wizard, there's this debate between Dr. Strange and uh, Peter. He's trying to figure stuff out, and the doctor's saying, you know, you can't change time. You can't change circumstances. What makes you think you can change people? And Peter asked the question, but what if we could? Where did he come up with an idea like that? That he could somehow be involved in that? I know. Do you know? It's his family. His family values. The story shows us some of the family values that Peter was taught growing up in each of the iterations. Here's one you might remember. Well, he needs help, and maybe they all do. Well, you don't mean, no, mate, this isn't my problem. Peter, not your problem? Hmm? Me. Their chance of getting help is way better back where they came from. Sending them home, that's the best thing that we can do for them. For them? Or for yourself? Look around you. This is what we do. We help people. That's called a family value. You see them in each iteration of Spider-Man. Uncle Ben said, with great power comes great responsibility. That's a value that he lived by. Uh, May says, when situations arise with opportunities to give help to people in need, it's what we do. That's a family value. This is who we are, how we live. Peter also quotes her later saying, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. And then what we see in May in the film is that she lives her values every day because she works at a homeless shelter. You see that truck that has FEAST on it? The acronym stands for Feed, Food, Emergency, Aid, Shelter, and Training. It means that her life is giving evidence to what she's teaching in her family. And, there, and she embraces it when he's at a critical point. Remember your values. We serve in order to save lives. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You ever heard a value like that before? I think these are God's family values. Jesus said one of them. He said, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. How does Stan Lee translate that? He says, with great power comes great responsibility. Jesus said... The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. In other words, we serve and sacrifice to save lives. <laughs> it's what we do. At the end of the movie, Peter sacrifices the thing he wanted most, to be known by those he loves. God wants that. Peter wants it too. Why? Well, we're shown the answer in a coffee cup message. Why did he sacrifice that? In a donut shop, did you see this? We are happy to serve you. Just in case we've missed it so far in the film, they put it right on the camera in front of all of us so that nobody will miss it if you have an ear to hear. This is about serving to save lives. Does that sound like anybody you've heard about? Like... The Messiah, maybe? Now, there's another thing I saw. No Way Home has all three Spider-Men sharing with us the deepest grief and sorrow of their life. Here's that scene. My Uncle Ben was killed. 
It was my fault. I lost. I lost Gwen, my um. She was my MJ. I couldn't save her. I'm never gonna be able to forgive myself for that. But I carried on, tried to um, try to keep going, try to keep being the uh, that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, because I know that's what she would have wanted. But at some point, I just I stopped pulling my punches. I got rageful. I got bitter. I just don't want you to end up like, like me. The night Ben died, I hunted down the man who I thought did it. I wanted him dead. I got what I wanted. It didn't make it better. It took me a long time to learn to get through that darkness. I want to kill him. I want to tear him apart. I can still hear her voice in my head. Even after she was hurt, she said to me that we did the right thing. She told me that with great power comes great responsibility. Wait, what? How do you know that? Uncle Ben said it. The day he died. Maybe she didn't die for nothing, Peter. You know, 700 years before Jesus was ever born, the prophet Isaiah said that he would be despised, he would be rejected, he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And I'm looking at these men acquainted with grief, three as one coming to restore. And I'm just wondering but there's one more quote in particular that really made me think the movie was written for more than simply a summer blockbuster that was released in Christmas, but a popcorn and entertainment movie. You know which one it was? I've never heard this quote before in any film, anywhere, any screenplay of any kind, and yet here it is. See if you can recognize it. Okay, so now all we got to do is lure these guys someplace, right? Try to cure them while they try to kill us and then send them home. Using a magic box. Oh, that's the plan. So wait, are you gonna go into battle dressed as a cool youth pastor or you got your suit? Got the suit on. Are you gonna go into battle? This is the decisive battle. Are you gonna go into battle dressed as a cool youth pastor? You ever heard that anywhere ever in movie history? And yet there it is. He got his suit on. I'm so thankful that Spider-Man knows about cool youth pastors. I'm so thankful we got cool youth pastors. 
I'm so thankful that Spider-Man in the biggest blockbuster ever, Spider-Man, put in the word for church. And I'm thinking if Spider-Man were, he, were here today, he'd know about Christ Journey Miami. He would know that we believe in young people, that we see potential unleashed that can change the world one life at a time when you're listening upward and forward, living forward and moving onward. When you, that's why we have cool youth pastors. By the way, I understand that perhaps uh, Sarah and Alonzo are here today. We got them here. We got some youth leaders that are going to camp with our students, and we've already been praying for you. Sarah, great to see you again. This is a film that I like a lot. That's an inside joke. It's okay. You hear her talk, you'll know why I said that. Young people help us find our way home. That's a message in this movie. 17-year-olds have power that can change things. I mean, that what we learn is that our homes aren't really our homes without our children there. I'm taking that one with me. And that his home, Peter's home, wasn't typical. Maybe yours isn't either. You know, when you lose someone you love and it deeply affects you, our homes don't look like the typical nuclear families. But you know what, you're still home, you're still at home when you're embracing your family values. That's in the film. That's what we do. We're still at home when we practice our values. We're still at home when, like Peter does, we join the cause. You know, your extended church family is the place where we want to practice God's family values and where we desire to bring mentors and cool youth pastors in to help all of us face the monsters that this world unleashes. And it can happen. We're praying it's gonna happen this week at camp. And God can, God, amen, amen. But here's the next message. God can use even you as a teenager to help somebody else who is fighting a monster that they don't think they can overcome. But God can grace you and empower you and use you to make the difference. This is in the film find their way back to humanity and to their homes. At one point, Lizard says this, when you try to fix people, there are always consequences. Don't we know that's true? Nobody wants to be fixed. But then the story goes on to show that when you help others get their humanity restored, you are helping them and yourself find your way home. So where's your home? Where's home? Home is where your family values are, where you embrace them, where you practice them, where you choose and live them, and where you use your values to help others who are lost in the multiverse and feel like they can't fight the monsters. That's what God is doing. That's why Jesus came. That's why this church exists to help people like us find our way home to God and then to our true humanity being restored in fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three as one, all on your side, with you, for you, and now desiring to work in you so that the world doesn't have to stay the way that it's been to this point. God calling you home today.
then pray with me and let's find our way together. Gracious God, we thank you for the truth of your word, for the eternal love of Jesus Christ that we see expressed as the Father pours himself out in spirit to our broken world, so fallen, so monstrous in so many ways, and yet your grace is greater, your power is stronger, and today we take hope from this art inviting us to see nature, human nature, in a new way. What is God saying to you? Is he calling you home? Would you simply say, Lord, I'm listening and I'm willing. You can make that turn in your heart right now from trying to go your own way and create your own rules and make your own reality. You can turn from that and say, Lord, I'm, I'm coming home to you. Maybe right now you feel like your universe is coming undone, like it's just going to pieces. There is one who can hold it together. He's here for you. You bring him your pieces right now. Lord, here are the pieces of my dreams, of my family, of my future, of my finance. Please, Lord, have them and help me. And then perhaps for someone, you sense that God has put a person in your mind, somebody to pray for, somebody to be there for, somebody to go through the struggle with, and you'd just like to say, Lord, I would like to be a part of your mission in my neighborhood too. What is it he's saying to you? And if it is, let me make my home in your heart. Then would you join me in this prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to show God's love to me. And I now turn from going my way that I might receive you as my Savior and follow you in my life. Forgive my sins. Come into my spirit and lead me as I seek to follow you now. Our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand and hold it up and give me a chance to, to see, thank you, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, toward the back in the center here, eight, nine, toward the front in the center, 10, 11, toward the back to my right, 12, 13, 14. Uh, I'm not saying numbers because numbers. I'm saying I don't want to miss anybody. Lord Jesus, for every hand that's been raised, every heart that's been opened, we welcome the power of your spirit, the joy of your forgiveness, the grace of your presence, and may your blessing be upon each as we make our prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen.